Amen. We'll open your Bibles, if you would now, to the book of Hebrews. And we began just a couple weeks ago a study in the book of Hebrews. And we're making our way through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section, however you want to look at that. And this is more, uh, more my... <laughs> my wheelhouse, if you would, as far as uh, preaching goes. I like doing expository preaching. It gives, uh, gives the ability to build uh, one thought on another and uh, trying to con- uh, continue in uh, the way everything is laid out. If we're not cautious, <clears throat> we can easily uh, pull bits and pieces out of a book uh, of God's Word or out of the, uh, a certain section, out of the Word of God. Uh, and we can build an entire body of doctrine around that without examining it in light of the rest of Scripture. Uh, many, uh, many a bit of uh, a false teaching has come uh, as a result of this. And so it's good for us to be able to look at it, uh, each individual verse and each thought as it makes its way through. So here we are in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1. And last time we were together, we looked at the way the writer of Hebrews reveals Christ as the Creator. Um, and then this week, uh, we're going to take a look at the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. And so before we go any further, let's go ahead and read this morning's uh, text. And we're going to read the first four verses of the book of Hebrews and... Uh, And then we'll make our prayer and ask the Lord's power as we get into this word. Verse number 1, Hebrews chapter number 1, says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And that's where we spent a good portion of last week, and the fact that he made the worlds. Verse 3, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Father, we pray, Lord, your blessings now upon the reading of your word. And Father, we would not simply read it for reading's sake, but Father, we would read it so that we would understand it. And that, Father, not only understanding so that we gain knowledge, but Lord, that we would apply it to our life. We pray these things in your son's name for his sake. Amen. I've been trying to make sure that I begin each uh, of my messages recently with a, a question to try to get our, get our minds working. And the question this week would simply be, why would God create us and then leave us on our own? Now, I understand that there are many that actually believe this, not necessarily uh, anything on them as much as just uh, maybe a misunderstanding of Scripture or maybe something that they were taught as they grew up, that God created everything, but then He steps back and He watches to see what happens. And, and that's not the way we find our Lord and Savior uh, revealed in Scripture. 
As I said last week, we were to look at the way Christ is revealed as the Creator. And in the book of Hebrews, there is um, there's this sort of an assumed that you know some of this. And even later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer lets him know, he says, by this time you should be teaching this stuff, but I'm having to go back and I'm having to reteach you certain things. And so as we read the book of Hebrews, we want to do that with the, uh, uh, the mindset of the writer is trying to refresh the memory. So it's good for us to dig in a little bit deeper here to see what it is he's, he's saying. Uh, apparently these people automatically associated Jesus Christ as the creator, the one who, uh, uh, who made the worlds, that Jesus is God, and since God is the creator, that Jesus is the creator. And so the writer of Hebrews doesn't take a lot of time to dig into that. He just references him that way. Uh, it, it would be one thing uh, for someone to be talking to my children about their father, they don't have to go into great detail about who their father is. They know me. And so the writer of Hebrews does just that. He says, who created the world? But he also makes a statement in here that is a reminding statement. And he, he says it in the verse number three there, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. It's interesting that we would find something about Jesus in this statement, upholding all things. What you find in these, in these four verses, if you were to put yourself, uh, say, in, a, uh, in an office or in a library setting where you have a shelf of books, and on each end of those books you would have a book end, right? You would have something holding the books, keeping them from falling one way. And on the other side, you would have another uh, bookend. And you have these two bookends. And in verses 1 through 4, what we see here are the two bookends and everything in the middle. At the one side, you have the bookend that shows Jesus in verse number 1, uh, as uh, verse number 1 leading into verse number 2, as better than the prophets. And so he introduces, he says, God, in many different times, in many different ways, he revealed himself by way of the prophets. But then he says that he, he has spoken through his son in these last days. In other words, he's finished it. He has given us the, the complete revelation in Jesus Christ. And so what you find there is that Jesus is better than the prophets. At the end of this uh, set of books, so to speak, in verse number 4, he says, being made so much better than the angels. So not only is he better than the prophets, he's better than the angels. And then what we, what we find right in between these two statements, these better than statements, is not so much what Jesus does as much as who Jesus is. So it doesn't go into great detail about the action of creating as much as who is the creator. It doesn't go so much into the action of sustaining or upholding all things as much as who is. And so this is a, there are, are volumes here between these two bookends, these two statements that Jesus is better than the prophets, Jesus is better than the angels, and in between you find volumes as far as who the person of Jesus Christ is. Now, Hebrews refers to Jesus here 
as the brightness of God's glory. Notice that there in verse number 3. Who being the brightness of His glory. A sister passage of Hebrews chapter 1 could be Colossians chapter 1. If you want to put a bookmark or something in Hebrews chapter 1 and then jump back just a few, uh, a few books to Colossians. Colossians chapter number 1, we find a sister passage to this. And Jesus being revealed as the brightness of God's glory in the book of Hebrews, Colossians refers to Jesus in another way as the image of the invisible God. I want you to notice this with me. Verse number, let's, let's see, let's start reading uh, in verse number, uh, let's start reading in verse number 13 just for context. I know we're breaking into the middle of a, of a statement, but look with me at verse number 13. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now notice who he's talking about. This is talking about God doing something through his son. Verse number four, in whom, still talking about the son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And notice at the end of this, there's a colon, not a period. So the statement continues. Again, still talking about his dear son, who is the image of, of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, if you were to just pluck certain portions of Scripture out you may come to a misunderstanding of what is being taught in this passage. Uh, we were created, understand this, in the image of God. Uh, I have made reference to this many times. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 reveal how God said, let us make man in our image. And so God uh, made man to reveal him. He says, I want something that is in my image. And, and so all of creation, you have dogs, you have cats, you have giraffes, you have elephants, all these different things, and trees and, and all the different portions of God's creation. But God said, man is going to be different. He is going to be in our image. And so we have Adam being brought down and, and, and God, it says that the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so we have Adam here and then it, it, shortly thereafter his wife Eve comes onto the scene and it says in Genesis 1, 27, male and female made he them. So yes, men are made in the image of God and women are made in the image of God. Humanity is made in the image of God. Understand this. Now, what we, what we see, though, sadly, is that God's image stepped away from their created purpose. And God's image failed in, in uh, revealing uh, the Godhead. Instead, they, uh, man put themselves ahead of God. And this is not something in the image of God. Now, I made this statement last week, and I, I, I think it bears repeating. Many times we look at the rules and the things that God says to do or not to do, and we see these and we say, well, uh, this is just God um, uh, trying to decide what's right, and he thinks it go, should go this way, and so that's the way he wants it to go. And, but we really should have a choice in the matter, and we could, we could pick A and B, but since God says you've got to go with A, then I guess you got to go with A. No, 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 no. Understand. He is the maker. He is the creator. He understands the right way and the wrong way. It's not saying that 
this is his preferred method where this is another option, but he wants you to go this way. No, no, no. He's saying, trust me on this. If you don't do it this way, things are not going to go right. And this is why many times we find ourselves in in a, a mess of a situation, and it's simply because we didn't do it God's way. Adam and Eve failed in this. They didn't reveal God in in the proper sense. And throughout the rest of history, all of mankind coming onto the scene does not reveal God the way that we ought to reveal Him. And so when we get here to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, Who is, talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus is the exact perfect image of God. And only God can perform that. It's only possible uh, that Jesus is God if he is the very exact image of God. You'll notice what it said over in Hebrews in reference to him. It says, be, uh, uh, verse number 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. In other words, Jesus he, the brightness of his glory. You and I cannot fully take in the, the, the uh, immense brightness of the sun. We would go blind if we were to stare at the sun. But just by simply walking outside, we see the light. And so we can see some of the glory of the sun. Some of it. For us to stare at it too long, we would damage our eyes and we would, we would possibly even go blind. For you and me, as being the image of God, we sometimes reveal some of it. Christ was the fullness of it. Jesus himself was the complete, uh, the, the greatest, the brightness, the fullness. He was everything. So we don't have anything lacking in the person of Jesus Christ. But now let's continue with this thought process because some commentators believe when you look at Genesis 1.26, it says, and let them have dominion over the fish and over the uh, land and over the sea. Uh, Some commentators actually believe that when Adam was in the garden and he was sinless, he could have, if he needed more moisture in, in this part of the ground because he was gardening over here, all he had to do was call for more moisture. I don't know. Some believe that that term dominion simply means dominion. It means rule. And so when you have Adam on the scene and he had the ability, the God-given ability, God gave him the rule over the earth and over the, uh, over the animals. If he, if he wanted, uh, you know what, it'd be nice if uh, the uh, population of uh, giraffes were over here and the population of elephants were over here. And, and you know, he, he had dominion over it, but he lost that. And some commentators will also tell you that Jesus showed to you what that should have been like. Now, at the very beginning of the uh, uh, service, our, our opening text was in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 35 through 41, show you an example of this. The disciples were blown away when Jesus, here he is taking a nap in the boat, and he, uh, uh, the, the disciples are worried, they're fearful, and they said to him, you know, how do you just, how do you not care that we perish? Now, think for just a moment. By this stage of the game, by this time, 
the, the disciples had witnessed him healing the sick. They had witnessed him turning water into wine. They had witnessed him raising the dead. They had witnessed him doing so many different miracles. They had witnessed him willing to, to go and embrace uh, a leper who was unwanted by society. Shunned. And here they are on a boat and they're in a storm and they, they say, don't you care? Don't you care that we're dying here? How could they ask if Jesus cared? How could they ask such a thing? And, 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 and let's, let's take for just a moment Jesus' power. Uh, let's just take that and just put that on hold for a moment. Yes, they should have trusted that Jesus was with them. They're going to be okay. Yes, we can go down that road. But here's my question. How in the world can people who know this man have seen him, seen the wonderful things that he has done, how in the world can they say, don't you care? Of course he cares. And this is what we need to get into our minds this morning. I started everything off with asking the question, why would God create us and then just leave us on our own? He doesn't. He doesn't do this. How could we ask such a question of, God, do you even care what I'm going through right now? Of course he cares. Of course he does. I want to take a look also before we go any further in this passage in Colossians. There in Colossians, it talks about who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This is one of my, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because it, it, it digs in a little bit uh, to some of what... Uh, there's some false teaching out there that needs to be explained and understood. Here we have this word for firstborn. Now, I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to read down through just a little bit further... Uh, so that we can see some, some more of the context. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the, uh, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now, I want you to catch that because this term firstborn sometimes is twisted and contorted beyond recognition. Let me give you an example of the use of the term firstborn in the Old Testament. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 48, please. Because the question comes in, many times you'll hear something to the effect of, Jesus is not God. He is the first creation, the first and greatest creation. That's not accurate. Don't forget that we just read... He is before all things, and by him all things consist. If you go back into John chapter number 1, you're going to find where it says that, uh, uh, that he, uh, he created everything. And it says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and was not anything made 
that was made. That is null and void if Jesus was made. Now, the question then comes in with this term firstborn. They will say, well, see, he's the first one born. The question would have to be, does firstborn always mean first one born? And I would submit to you that it does not. Look with me at Genesis chapter number 48. And you're going to find Joseph blessing his sons. If you were to start in verse number 8 and start reading down through, you would find where Joseph's sons uh, are... Joseph's sons are being blessed, Israel. Jacob, call me Israel. Uh, He is there and he is blessing his sons. Uh, And Joseph brings his. In verse number 14, it says, And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, uh, uh, said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, uh, the God which fed me all, uh, all my life long uh, unto this day. Now I want you to notice something. That we're not going to go really into great detail about the blessing portion here, but I want you to notice in verse number 14 who the younger and who the older was. Ephraim's head, who was the younger. Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, understanding Manasseh, firstborn, Ephraim, younger. Now, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 31. Jeremiah chapter number 31. And in reference to the regathering of Israel, look what is said in verse number 9. Jeremiah 31, verse 9. Remember, Manasseh is the firstborn, Ephraim's the younger brother. But here in verse 9 of Jeremiah 31, it says, They shall come with weeping and with supplications while I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am father to Israel and Ephraim... Is my firstborn. We have a problem if firstborn always means first one born. Firstborn does not always mean first one born. If you were to fast forward back to where our, uh, our text is here in the uh, book of Hebrews, and then in the, uh, we're looking specifically right here at Colossians chapter 1, verse, six, uh, verse uh, 15, who is the image of God, the firstborn of every creature. The word that we have here, the Greek word, is prototokos. Prototokos. This word prototokos means it speaks more to position rather than birth order. So when we see this word for firstborn, it means the most important or the highest in ranking. You see this exact same thing continued, verse number 18 that he might have the preeminence. So the thought process is not in birth order, but in preeminence. And so let's look at another form. Okay, well, that that may be one thing to see, but is there another time that this word prototokos is used? Well, you're going to see not prototokos, but the changing of the the last few letters, prototokia, same word, just used in a different sense in Hebrews chapter 12. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to see this exact same word. Which is translated as firstborn. Verse number 16 of Hebrews chapter 12. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Same word. It's not talking about order of arrival. It's talking about position. In other words, Christ is above all, better than all, greater than all, more deserving than all. He has the preeminence. So it's important for us to see this, that Christ is the head of everything. Because now we can understand how Christ is the sustainer. Look, look with me if you would now again, Hebrews, our text. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It says that he upholds all things. Upholds. Now I want you to see how Jesus is the head of all, but I also want you to see how he is the source of all. You know, many today, so many today, place a high priority on independence. It's so important for you to be independent. So important for us to raise our children to be independent. But the Bible actually emphasizes dependence. And I think we do our children a disservice when we ignore this. I think it's important, yes, don't, don't before someone... Uh, well, you know what? You want your kids to always expect you to foot the bill? No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> For heaven's sake, there are way too many millennials living in mom and dad's basement. Let's not go down that road. But so many place a priority on independence, yet the Bible actually emphasizes our complete dependence. And if we're not careful, we can very easily lose sight uh, of what it is that the, the Word of God is actually trying to teach us. I want you to think about this for a second. John chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, the next day John sees Jesus coming to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He doesn't say, Go, you be better people. He says, That's the one that takes care of it. If you remember uh, last week, uh, we looked at God telling the disciples, he says, this is my beloved son, hear him, listen to him. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, he says, the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. This is Jesus saying it. Uh, in, in John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, if the Son shall set you free... You shall be free indeed. 
So many people are trying to get things done their own way or with their own strength and are in their own power. As long as I become a better this or as long as I do this right or as long as I uh, go to church enough or as long as I put enough money in the offering plate or as long as I... No, 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 stop for just a minute. He is the source of all and you must depend on Him. Don't depend on your goodness. Don't depend on how much you do for the cause of Christ. Don't depend on how much you, how many times you read this Bible. Don't depend on how much time you spend on your knees. Don't depend on how much money you put into the church. Don't depend on those things. Depend on Jesus Christ. Put your dependence on Him. Anything else, you're depending on yourself. You see, in the, in the midst of teaching uh, people how to simply do for themselves, be careful not to stress self-reliance. This is where we run into problems. Well, look at all the things that I have overcome. Look at all the problems that I have beat. Look at all the things that I have done for the cause of Christ. Stop. Look at Jesus. Look at him. That's where our focus ought to be. We've got to be careful not to stress self-reliance. I'm afraid so many times today uh, people are so focused on independence that they never learn how to be dependent on God. We must learn to rely on him. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But as Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't sound like independent teaching to me. That sounds to me like Jesus is saying, you need to depend on me. I want you to notice just a couple things because generally speaking, sometimes we come to a a statement such as this and we just kind of let it move on. But... I got a few statements or a few questions, should I say, that you can ask yourself. Am I dependent or not? And here's a few of those questions. Does the way I relate to my family and friends demonstrate that I am in daily need of God's help? Or does it demonstrate that I got it under control? I'm good. If I were to ask my children... If I were to ask my wife, do you see me depending on God? Or do you see me depending on my own abilities? What would they say? Maybe those of you who are watching with us this morning, maybe, that, maybe that's something, a good exercise. Turn to the person next to you and say, do you see me depending on God or myself? And don't get upset at the answer. Take it and learn from it. How about another question? Not only does the way I relate to my family demonstrate that I'm in need of God's help, does my level of commitment to Christian fellowship reveal to others that I believe I need some help? Do I really believe iron sharpens iron or do I believe that I'm sharpening my own self? It's one of those things that we just got to be honest with ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I don't need to go to church. I can, I can do church in my basement, just me, by myself. And praise the Lord because I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I need someone to wake me up from time to time when I'm acting like an arrogant jerk. I need someone to come up to me and say, you know what, you need to spend some more time in the Word today. I need people to help me, nudge me more and more toward the person of Jesus Christ. I need to be confronted with, with have I been in His Word? Have I been on my knees enough? I, I need to be confronted with those things. Which brings me to the third one. Does my personal devotional life express my need for help? Just those three questions right there will help us understand if we are dependent on God or independent. How much time do I spend in His Word? Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I have read that Bible more times than, than, than you can count. Oh, Pastor, I've been studying God's Word longer than you've been living. So are you dependent on all that you know then? Or are you still depending on God, opening your mind regularly, day after day, the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, your, your soul and your heart? It's important for us to learn how to depend on Him. The truth is, that we were not only created by Him, but we are upheld or sustained by Him. You see, the idea, and, and you've heard it probably before, I've heard it many times through the years, God helps those who help themselves. And Stop. God helps the helpless, and I'm helpless. I could not do it on my own. I'm not perfect. I am imperfect. I am not okay. And God saw my helpless state. And He helps me. Does this mean that God wants us to sit by and do nothing? Absolutely not. Don't, don't, don't mistake in dependence on Him for laziness. That's a sin. Well, so, God's going to do everything. I guess I'll just sit by and just let him do it. I don't have to do anything. No, stop right there. We are to pursue holiness. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We are to, uh, to examine ourselves regularly, see if there's anything that needs to change. We are to work out what God is working in. And so there's a lot for us to do, but not in our own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. I want you to notice just a couple things more, and we're going to come to a conclusion here. Not only is he the head of all and the source of all, but he is concerned for all. As I said, God's call is not to laziness, but to diligently work out what God has called us to do. But he doesn't just give us a task and then walk away. <laughs> Faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. He empowers us. He told us, I, I love the, uh, uh, the Great Commission. You read the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. There's the go, but then he says this, and lo, I am with you. 
He doesn't say, go do it, and I'm going to sit back here and wait for you to get back. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going right along with you, and you're going to do it in my power. Not your own. God's investment in creation is evident everywhere. He is not distant. Rather, he is ever-present in the lives of his children. Think about it. God's investment into the people of this world, into his own creation, he purged at Noah's time. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. There's investment. Look at, uh, uh, look at the, the stopping of evil pagan societies. People get upset. Well, God's not involved. But then when he does get involved, they get upset then too. He led his people out of Egypt. He supplied their needs. And he provided a way for man to have a relationship with him. Through his own son. Don't tell me God is not involved in the day-to-day concerns of his creation. My God is not aloof and uncaring. (laughs) He is involved. And he cares greater and more deeply than you and I could ever imagine. I want you to look at just a few things here in conclusion. Let's be honest with ourselves and acknowledge Jesus as God. Now now think about this for just a minute. Hear me out. Only God has the ability to create. And only He can uphold that which has been created. So let's just acknowledge who He is. And acknowledging Him as the Creator, realizing that He knows best. And we cannot expect Jesus to bless when we are outside of what He said is best. We can't. But not only acknowledging that Jesus is God, I will, this is an I will statement, I will examine my heart and my life. Realize this. He is the sustainer and we must look to him and uh, as the one look to him and only him as the one who can care for us. Understand you and I my friend are limited finite beings. We we can't do this on our own. So why should I rely on myself? I can't rely on myself. I am flawed. And as lovingly as I can say it, you, my friend, are flawed. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on Him, the one who made you. Grow dependent on Him. Third, I will quit depending on myself and become more dependent upon Him. Examine your life. I gave you three questions a while ago to ask yourself, does the way I relate to my family demonstrate that I am daily in need of God's help? Does my level of commitment to Christian fellowship reveal someone who believes they are in need of help? 
Does my personal devotional life express my need of daily help? Examine yourself. Just with those three. Start there. Does it reveal, does your life reveal someone who is trusting in God or someone who is trusting in themselves? Where do you depend? You know, know this, that God is the sustainer. Not you. You are not the sustainer. Not your job and your workplace. That is not your sustainer. Not your spouse. They are not your sustainer. Not your family and what they think of you. They are not your sustainer. Not your health or what your doctor says or what medicines you're on or not on or what oils you're using or whatever. That is not your sustainer. Not your finances. Your financial situation is not your sustainer. (laughs) And not your government. That's not your sustainer. Your sustainer is God. And that's where we need to depend. Ask yourself, you know, what am I depending on? I had a friend of mine, we were talking not too long ago, and he said, I came to realize that I was spending more time on Fox News than I was in the Word of God. Let that one sink in for a minute. How much time are we relying on Him? How much time are we spending begging Him for mercy, grace, strength for the day? How much time do we spend with everything else? I've heard people say before, you want to know what a person cares about the most, look at their checkbook, look at their day planner. That'll tell you what they care about the most whatever they spend the majority of their time doing or focusing on. Can I tell you, you can use the same test to find out what you depend on? Where do you find your strength? Do you find it in your check, your paycheck? How much money is in the account? What your wife or your kids think about you? What your neighbors say? Your Facebook status? Or is it found in the Word of God? Listen, we've got to spend so much time in this book that it flows out of us. That's where we get our strength. Father, we are humbled beyond words that you would dote upon us the way that you do. And Lord, when we think about how you created this world and everything in it, how in the world could we think that you wouldn't care about it? Father, when we look at the way you provide and your son, he taught us about the lilies of the field, the sparrows, and if he cares for them, how much more does he care about us? So Father, how could we ever think that you don't care? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us in your word just how much you are involved. Father, help us to become dependent upon you. 
Father, to quit relying on our own abilities, our own strength. That we would quit relying on all the external things. That we would walk into your throne room with arms wide open begging you, Daddy, put me on your lap. Cradle me. Hold me close. Strengthen me. And remind me that it'll be okay. Father, when we look around this world today, we see so much chaos. And sometimes it's hard to get our eyes off of the problems of today and the problems of our societies. It's hard for us sometimes to remember to just trust you. So help us do that, Lord. Help us to have our minds stayed on you. For that's where we'll find perfect peace. Use us in a mighty way to remind others of the same. We'll be very careful, Lord, to praise you. Because you and you alone are worthy of all honor, of all praise. For the glory is yours alone. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.